Hey, and welcome to The Urban Monk, Dr. Pedram Shojai, hanging out in studio in sunny Southern California, enjoying uh, some time home for a little bit. Uh, there are so many things going on in all of our lives. Um, reminds me of the uh, Henry Ford quote, you know, obstacles are the scary things you see when you take your eyes off your goal. Uh, my guest today uh, was waving to mannequins and uh, his eyes stopped working. And by the age of 25, he could not see. So imagine having this thing called life that you've planned and you're living and the trajectory is flowing and then all of a sudden you get a diagnosis that takes away your vision. Uh, he is the author of a new book called Eyes Wide Open. Um, Isaac Lidsky has turned it around uh, from believing it was a death sentence into being uh, a powerful tool in his life and is now teaching how to take some of the principles of said lesson uh, to apply it into our lives. So hi, welcome, welcome to The Urban Monk. Thanks, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for doing this work. You know, it's we live in a culture where it's really easy to roll over and die, uh, to go "woe is me," feel sorry for ourselves. Um, you know, all those all those narratives that start to boot up, um, and you didn't. You fought, and you found a way. So, what was that like, man? Like, just that. How long did it take to really start turning that corner and being like, "Look, I can't. You know, I can't go down like this." You know, at first when I was diagnosed, I was uh, you know terrified. And I, I did think, as you said, that blindness would, would ruin my life, was, was a death sentence for my independence and achievement. But the way that I lost my sight sort of progressively over time, um, which produced all these sort of bizarre effects, um, I literally saw firsthand that uh, sight is this, sight itself is this masterful illusion, right? You think that you open your eyes and there's the world, seeing is believing, sight is truth. But the reality is that our minds are hard at work creating this virtual reality for us, ourselves that involves a lot more than just information from the eyes. It's frankly only about 10% information from the eyes, 90% information from elsewhere. Um, and yet it, it feels so real. And the big sort of aha moment for me, the big insight for me, was to realize that that's true of so much of our lives. So much of our lives that we experience as uh, immutable truth kind of beyond our control is really in our minds. And it's up to us, literally in every moment, to choose who we want to be, and how we want to live our lives. Uh, and once I saw that, you know, uh, I made some, some better choices for myself. That's interesting. So you, you have this lights out type of event that's happening. And so there's so much data. And, you know, we live in a very visual, um, visually kind of dominant reality, right? Where, you know, what you see is what you get and all this kind of stuff. And so with, with that of the five senses uh, getting peeled away, and then you're, you know, left in the dark with your, your thoughts, you know, what you're hearing, what you're feeling and all that. How does that start to, like, do you have to reallocate processor bandwidth to other areas? Does it start to increase your intuition? Does it get you to become more introspective? Like, what's that, what's that shift in, in your orientation when, when that starts to happen? So, yeah, you know, it, we are inherently visual creatures, as you say, uh, about uh, a third of our brain by volume devoted to uh, the experience of sight. Uh, and in any, um, in any moment, in any second, the, the sort of visual cortex can claim up to two-thirds of your brain's processing resources. So as that goes away, when that goes away, yeah, um, you have a lot of free cycles, as you put it. Um, and I started paying a lot more attention to my ears, to touch. Uh, memory became more like a sense in a very interesting way. 
And uh, it's amazing. The human organism is infinitely adaptable. Uh, and it's amazing what our senses can do for us. We don't really ask them to do all that much um, other than insight, because again, we're so, we're so visual. But, but really the lessons that I learned, the insights that I gained along the way um, really aren't, aren't about blindness uh, or even disability per se. Uh, it's really about the opportunity we all have to live with uh, awareness and accountability and intention and purpose in life. Amen. Amen. To me, you're like the ultimate alchemist, right? Turning lead to gold and uh, you, know, you know, transmuting that. So, I mean, you got a you got a heck of a resume. Um, you know, before all this, you were weasel by Saved by the Bell, uh, right. and then graduated Harvard College, age 19, degree in mathematics, computer science, Harvard Law School. Law, law clerk to uh, Supreme Court Justices Sandra Day O'Connor and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And then you transformed a struggling $15 million con concrete, concrete business into a $150 million business. Uh, started the Hope for Vision Foundation and it goes on and on and on. So not only did you not roll over and die, you got a long list of accomplishments. So how did you pivot that? Because that's, that's, that to me is really powerful. That's, that's an amazing thing that someone can choose to do versus rolling over and giving up and, and feeling sorry for themselves. Yeah, you know, it's going blind turned out to be one of the best things that ever happened to me. It really did. Because uh, those insights that I gained uh, into uh, our, our power and our responsibility to sort of shape the daily experience we want for ourselves, um, there was no escaping that. And, uh, you know, I put it to work throughout my life. So, um, you know, the self-limiting assumptions we make about ourselves, uh, the kind of lies we tell ourselves about what uh, our purported strengths and weaknesses look like, um, the way we sometimes uh, get confused about what success really is and what value really is in, in our own lives, our misconceptions about luck, all of these things, um, the way in which I went blind, I learned to um, really refocus and uh, hold myself uh, accountable to be aware of, uh, you know, the, the, the choices I was making in every moment for, for, you know, how I was living my life. And the upshot was, as you, as you say, I was, I've been blessed to do a lot of really neat things, uh, in my life as a result. Um, you know, I, have been, uh, I've been able to, uh, see beyond my fears and, uh, really pers uh, pursue the goals, the objectives, the things that are important to me in my life. And, uh, yeah, it's brought me immeasurable joy and fulfillment and success. And like I said, I mean, really going blind turned out to be, a real blessing. You know, it's interesting. It took uh, you going blind to realize that you never were seeing, seeing clearly in the first place, right? That's exactly right. And that's, exactly. that's powerful. And so, you know, that, that speaks a lot to the human condition. I mean, the Buddhists say that, you know, most of us are walking around like hungry ghosts, right? Just absolutely unaware of, of what we're doing and where we think we're going. So what are some signs? So, you know, we're, you know, we got people out there listening to this, watching this, and going, okay, well, where, where am I in this? Where am I not seeing clearly? Well, you know, one of the, one of the real sort of pernicious uh, forces in our lives is fear. And uh, fear can really sort of distort and warp uh, our realities. It's, a, it's natural for us to feel fear. It's useful in many ways, certainly evolutionarily. It's very important. Um, but fear can be pretty devastating. So uh, I think a, a good place to start for folks is really to, to be on the lookout for, for things that, uh, that they're afraid of. Another thing is, you know, uh, 
first and foremost, you know, I think too often we can go through our lives without asking ourselves the questions that are maybe daunting in their uh, magnitude, but they're pretty important. What, what is important to me? Uh, how do I want to be spending my time professionally and personally? Uh, what kind of a spouse do I want to be? What kind of a employer do I want to be? What kind of a you know, parent do I want to be? Uh, these are questions that we are answering every day of our lives, uh, whether we like it or not, uh, whether we know it or not. So uh, to me, uh, you know, it, it better to do it purposefully, right? Better to do it with awareness uh, and some deliberation than sort of by happenstance. Yeah, yeah, like anything. Uh, either you're intending to do it and you're focused on it and you're clear on it or you're stumbling through life, which is, you know, I think uh, what most people uh, consider life, right? And so everyone's got these New Year's resolutions and all these things that they try to kind of recalibrate once a year and then they go back into their stumble. Choosing, choosing not to choose uh, who you want to be and how you want to live your life is itself a choice. <laughs> and a, and a, pretty, a pretty dark one at that, right? Because then the advertisers, the politicians, someone's going to choose for you, right? Oh, no shortage of people willing to choose for you. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Their entire industry is built around that. So how do we take this perspective and you know, call it, a, call it a, a lens or a filter, if you will, this eyes wide open lens, and use it in our lives, in personal life, in our business life, our family life? Like, How, how can we use this perspective building tool? Sure. So, you know, for, for me, it kind of, it's, um, it's a, it's a learned discipline, you know, it, it, it's, uh, it takes effort even, you know, for me, it's a daily, uh, aspiration. It's something that, you know, frankly, some days I'm not so good at other days I'm better at, but you know, I, I really try to sort of break it down thematically into kind of different, um, excuse me, different, different challenges or different, uh, threats to our ultimate sort of control over the reality we create for ourselves. So, um, you know, we can talk about ways to, to try to see through fear. We can talk about ways to confront, uh, uh, you know, our, 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 the things we tell ourselves about ourselves and, and, and what others might be thinking or feeling about us and, um, the way we feel about luck, uh, the way we face ongoing struggle. So, you know, it, it, I wish there were a, a one size fits all, um, answer, but it, it kind of depends on context. Yeah, sure. I remember, um, Growing up, uh, my sister and I took piano lessons from a couple brothers who um, had, I, I don't know what the diagnosis was, I was a kid, but you know they were diagnosed with something that was going to take away their eyesight and their parents doubled down very quickly and got them into piano. And they both became very, very good, uh, accomplished pianists who then became piano instructors. And so I grew up with with somebody uh, teaching me piano for you know a few years who could not see. And it was just it was amazing, understanding the kind of perspective building um, energy that comes to someone who had something and had it taken away. Uh, and most people are walking around with something that they take for granted. So they just they, they choose not to see, right? They choose not to actually see into what's happening in their lives, and it's big. Um, you know, whether it's something that's happening at work, whether it's something that's unsaid at, in your marriage, right? Most people have all kinds of crazy interpersonal stuff that's happening and things they should probably be apologizing for yesterday that they're not willing to look at until it's too late. Um, and then you know, when it's too late, it's too late, isn't it? Yeah, it's. It, it's you, you said a lot there. There's a, a lot of moving pieces in there, but uh, you know, certainly, um, 
certainly the, de the default seems that it's uh, it's easier to count our burdens than our blessings, uh, which can get us into trouble, as you say, because we, you know, we um, we manifest what we measure in life. So, um, yeah, you know, in many ways, we, we can often be um, be our own worst enemies. You know, when I was first diagnosed with my blinding disease, I, you know, I, I was living a race against time. I was certain that, uh, you know, if and when I finally went blind uh, or my you know, sight wasn't uh, wasn't so useful, that would be the end for me. So I was had all these awful thoughts about this boogeyman blindness that was going to ruin my life. And I was cheering for these research scientists, just desperate for them to cure my disease. And, um, this was a, uh, an awful world uh, built of my fears. But I believed it, and you know it left me on the sideline. Right, I was not in control of my own fate. Uh, I was, uh, you know, rooting against blindness and cheering on these scientists and, and hoping for the Hollywood uh, ending. And uh, looking back, it, it, it's amazing to me. Uh, much like the experience of sight itself, we can experience our fears as are so real. Uh, you know, we awfulize, we we agonize. Um, and yet it can feel so real. And if we're not careful, if we're not aware, it becomes real. It's sort of self-realizing or self-perpetuating um, just by virtue of us believing it. So you know, we just have such an awesome power, <laughs> uh, the human mind, that um, you know, if we're careful to understand, appreciate, and, and harness uh, the power of our own minds, it's just amazing. It's a gift. Okay, so here you are <laughs> paralyzed by fear. And you are in a bad way. You are betting for some sort of Hollywood ending, and um, the fear is starting to choke you up. How do you transform it? There's so many people in whether it's healthcare or just life that are stuck right on that fear spot, and you know some turn to faith in God or you know wh whatever that narrative is. Um, what was your transition out of that? Yes, there's, there's a longer a longer version of the story, but you know in essence, I wound up in the office of a low vision rehabilitation specialist, a woman who was an occupational therapist who specialized in folks who were, you know, partially sighted and, and blind. And I showed up just assuming, really not having even given it any thought, I just assumed we were going to be talking about blindness, this awful thing, this distant, hopefully distant, this future that I had to prepare myself for, tomorrow the future. And she was, you know, she right off the bat, she wanted to talk about uh, practical questions about what I was doing day in and day out to, to sort of take control and you know was I bumping into things did I use a cane did... and I remember being so confused and and thinking I need to explain to her how little I care about bumping into things about you know today, today is not my problem now is not my problem uh, you know my problem is the future and all this awful stuff and my problems I'm losing my sight and there's nothing I can do about it and uh, you know she made a comment to me you know if you used a cane uh, you'd bump into things less and you'd hurt yourself less. And it sounds, it sounds silly. I'm only a little embarrassed to admit it, but, uh, you know, I had an epiphany. I realized right there in her office that everything I thought I knew about going blind or being blind was a complete lie, born of my fears. And worse, I had done nothing uh, to learn about going blind or being blind. In a sense, hmm. I had to confront uh, the fact that I was choosing to live in that world because hmm. uh, there really only is now this moment that's all there ever is uh, so in that moment I decided you know whenever I felt afraid I would ask myself what precisely is my problem right now discreet manageable today that I can that I face that I can do about it 
And two, what's what's the best thing that I can do about it? Just me. No heroes, no villains, uh, no one to pray to for rescue or, or blame. Um, just me. What can I do about it? And when, when I made the decision there in her office that day uh, to confront my fears in that way, my life really turned around. It was the beginning of a long process, to be sure, but uh, it was a turning point. But you remember, like, what, did you feel that that day was the turning point or looking oh, back, no you realized? Yeah. Okay. So it hit you like a gong. Like you're like, okay. Oh, it hit me. It hit me. Yeah. 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 It really was this, this, this realization because I was so, I was trapped in, in sort of fears, myopic kind of tunnel of, of, of awfulness. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I was so confused. Uh, I, I literally had not left room for today, right now, this moment. Mm. Like, what, what can I do to make my life a little easier or a little better? Hmm. And the realization that those were probably some pretty good questions for me to be thinking about, uh, it really hit me hard. Yeah, what, a, what an angel. I mean, she, she, yeah. she helped rewire you from the sky is falling to just being good at being here. Yeah. And obviously, exactly. you then took that as, as kind of a template and started applying it in, in life. Um, and so I'm assuming some of this, so at 25, so how much of your education was, was post, uh, post blindness or what, what, did you already get all that in first? So, you know, by the time I was, uh, you know, sort of, uh, in, in junior, senior in college, you know, 18, 19 years old, uh, my sight was, was kind of moving from nuisance to disability. It was a real challenge to, to read uh, printed text. Excuse me. It was it was something. Frankly, I tried to avoid at all costs because it was uh, uh, awkward and, and and frustrating. And then you know, it sort of got worse going into law school and all that. So that uh, really in my early to mid twenties, my sight ceased to be all that useful to me. Uh, and by the time I was twenty five, I was essentially you know without any sight. Okay. And and at that point then you're doing corporate work, you're, you're, you know, going into this concrete company. Like how do you, how do you then apply things? So, yeah. So, so, um, I had a, uh, um, I had, a what I, what I call an eight year joyride in, in, in law, seven, eight year joyride, ride in law. I went, um, um, studied at Harvard law school, which was just an incredible experience. Uh, and then I went to, I had a clerkship with a federal judge and then I worked for uh, the U S justice department. I got to litigate appeals all over the country. Uh, I was a year out of law school, you know, arguing my own appeals. It was crazy. What age uh, then, was this? Oh, what age? This was, uh, geez, I must have been, uh, this is like 24, 25, 26, talking now. And uh, anyway, then, then I have you a know, lifelong dream, got the clerk for uh, two U.S. Supreme Court justices, uh, Justices O'Connor and Ginsburg, which was amazing. Long story shorter, when I kind of made the obvious, quote unquote, a choice at the end of all this to go work for a big international law firm took a huge signing bonus great salary and fancy office and you know great business cards and all that uh i, I pretty quickly found myself very dissatisfied with with my career now that's not to say that law is not a you know plenty of people enjoy practicing law find meaning in it find their success in it and that's great the problem is i'm not one of those people so um you know, putting my money where my mouth is, so to speak, on my eyes wide open philosophy or vision. You know, when I was sitting there in my in my fancy, you know, Manhattan skyscraper office, um, realizing that this was not important to me and uh, this wasn't what I wanted to be doing, um, I 
I, you know, I abandoned my legal career. <laughs> I stepped away from the practice of law and uh, partnered up with my my college roommate. Uh, he kept his fancy day job in the world of finance, but I quit mine. And he helped me buy a small, uh, struggling business in Orlando, Florida, in residential construction, an industry I knew nothing about. And if you think I'm crazy, uh, my wife, Dorothy's even crazier. She supported me in all this. <laughs> and uh, we moved down from Manhattan to Orlando for me to serve as the chief executive officer uh, of our new business. Of a struggling business. business. Yeah, did that in June of 2011. What the hell prompted you to do that? You know, it, it seemed like a good idea at the time. I thought... <laughs> I did a lot of sort of soul searching on what was important to me, what I wanted in, in my life and in my career. First and foremost, I wanted a better quality of life for my family. I wanted to get out of the sort of 90 hour a week, you know, rat race, stress and tension and all that. I wanted to live uh, in a home that had a yard. Uh, I wanted to get home from work early enough to play with my kids in that yard and maybe have dinner with my wife. Uh, career wise, it may sound silly, but I wanted a job I could explain to my children. Uh, at the t- so my my, uh, my my wife Dorothy gave birth to our triplets, um, yeah, in September of 2010. Wow! So you know I'm a new dad now, with, you know, three times over, and I'm wanting a job I can explain to my kids. I'm wanting a better quality of life, and I'm wanting the opportunity to work with a team of folks, build a, a culture of excellence, and and thrive with people, and have some fun, and and uh, you know do something um, meaningful. For them and, and, and for our customers. So, you know, I, it seemed to me uh, running a business was the way to go. Uh, nobody was all that interested in hiring me to run their business, uh, being a, you know, mid level associate in a law firm. And so my roommate and, and dear friend, uh, who has a lot of faith in me, said, okay, well, you know, if no one's gonna hire you to run a business, we can buy a business that you can run. As my niece uh, later put it, we bought me a job. Yeah. And, and, and at what point did that stop being a job and start being something that, that you know, became abundant? Like how long did it take you to turn around this company? Well, so three, so three months in, we realized that far from kind of treading water, this company was, was sinking like a stone. Yeah. Um, all the financial data we had meticulously analyzed were nonsense, right? Garbage in, garbage out. Really, nobody had any idea what was going on, but this company was hemorrhaging money. Two Harvard guys buy a construction company in Orlando. Like, what could possibly go wrong, right? <laughs> so that was, you know, one of the worst times of my life. And uh, it was a real challenge to sort of silence my internal critic and, and harness my strength and um, uh, got immense support from friends and family. And uh, like I said, that was about three months in. It then took us about a year or so to get to the point where we were, you know, fully above water and I could earn a salary again and uh, it wasn't so, it wasn't crisis mode all the time. And then from there, you know, just I'm blessed to work with an amazing team of very talented folks, very loyal folks, and uh, we have a great corporate culture. And, and the, the thing has just uh, succeeded beyond my wildest imagination. The company's more than 10 times bigger than it was and it's profitable and it's, grow, you know, all over the state now and uh, we're just having a blast. Good for you. Is there anything you wish you'd known uh, as a younger entrepreneur, as a lesson learned that you now have, you know, with the miles you've run later in your career? You know, 
I kind of think that's a question that kind of defies the physics of life, right? I, you know, we, we learn by doing, um, right? I mean, strength tested begets strength. Um, you know, you can only build muscles by tearing them. So, you know, to me, it's not necessarily a super helpful construct to go back and say, you know, what would it have looked like had I known X, Y, and Z? Because the journey of it, the joy in it, the progress uh, of it really is for me in the actual in the actual striving itself. But so that having been said, I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, my intentions were good. I had a rough sort of sense of a plan. Uh, I tested my thinking with my wife and my family, and my friends. I had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> uh, and that's you know the value of the experience. So how does, how does one apply eyes wide open philosophy to the way you went in and navigated that experience? Yeah, that sort of crisis mode. Yeah. So, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned sort of working hard to try to silence that internal critic. Um, you know, for me, that's, you know, like fear, um, like fear, we all have this sort of critic in our minds. That's this like nasty voice. Uh, it's quick to pass judgment on us, tell us what we can't do, tell us what others are thinking about us. And the critic sort of presents this idealized world soaring high above it all, this sort of view of perfection, which of course is impossible. And um, Man, that critic can be so overwhelming that we, we never even bother because uh, we're so convinced that we're beat you know, before we even get started. Uh, so, you know, for me and uh, I... Teddy Roosevelt has these sort of famous remarks, right, where he contrasts the critic and the strong man, right? It's not the critic who counts, you know, cold and timid souls and all that stuff. Anyway, for me, Roosevelt's uh, critic is really our fear of failure. Um, and uh, again, juxtaposing it with the strong man, trying to, trying to find our inner strength. You know, I would encourage folks, um, if they're, if they're, you know, when they're facing that nasty voice, to, to really hone in on right now, this moment, what is it that I really want to accomplish, right? That critic will swap someone else's definition of success uh, for your own. You won't even notice it. And if you're laboring for someone else's definition of success, you cannot succeed by definition. Hmm. So step one is always come back to grounding yourself and like, what is it that you're actually trying to accomplish? Uh, and then the question is, you know, what's the best next step? Right? You're not going to get from A to Z if you don't get from A to B. Uh, I guarantee that. Hmm. And. Uh, um, you know, don't focus on, on perfection, on results, on the outcome, focus on progress, on growth, on the moment. I, lo I love the metaphor. Yeah. I love the metaphor of just, you know, learn to stop bumping into things, right? It kind of yeah. goes back to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that, uh, that business experience that I had really was, and other experiences in my life really were for me about this kind of, um, the tug of war for the perspective with which we view our lives between mm. our critic and our inner strongman. Mm. That's, a, that's a big one though, right? Because most people, you know, if you're watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians or some other bullshit, you know, you have someone else's vision of what success is, what beauty is, what fashion is, all that stuff kind of juxtaposing your psyche, your consciousness. And so how does one pull back from that, that popular media nonsense to really start thinking about these bigger questions because you, know, you have to know what that even is to you before you can kind of have that bar to, to, to then be able to achieve on your own. 
Yeah, so I think that when we're really honest with ourselves, when, when we want to be honest with ourselves, when we want to be introspective, answering the questions, what's important to me and what matters to me and what does value look like for me, what does success look like for me, I don't think answering those questions is the hard part. I think the hard part really is ignoring that circus you're talking about, right? Ignoring that chaos, that barrage of, of nonsense that's out there. That's ultimately, a, it's a choice, right? It's, about, it's, it's turning down the volume. It's, it's taking, uh, you know, a moment, five minutes to sit alone in quiet and think to yourself, mm-hmm. well, how, you know, what do I want to be doing? How do I want to be spending my time? How does my life compare to how I would describe uh, life well lived for me? And am I willing to confront the fact that uh, to the extent there are any differences, I bear responsibility for those differences? Hmm. Um, it, it's, a, it's a big, uh, you know, it's a big leap to take, but uh, it's certainly worth it. It has been in my life. Yeah, no kidding. You know, you know what's interesting is, you know, I took, I took vows uh, pretty early in my life and became a monk and spent a lot of times with uh, my eyes voluntarily closed to meditate and spend, you know, a lot of time, you know, thinking about these bigger things and, and kind of shutting out, you know, it's like you, you don't have that barrage coming in through your eyes, right? Which is, which is nice. I don't have it coming in through, I don't listen to public radio. I don't listen, I don't watch normal TV anymore. And so a lot of it is also just having uh, a better management program around the inputs of some of that circus uh, to a certain extent, because it is overwhelming, right? You can't, you can't yep. watch TV and not you know, get something embedded. Uh, but then that's when you have the time to actually think about things. And so you know, my perspective on this, and I'd love to hear, you know, where you find this, you know, because now suddenly you you had a very profound shift, is when people stop the circus, there's this kind of intermediary phase where they start to feel kind of restless and bored and not knowing what to do with themselves because that input is something that they're so used to. So it's just it, it's just this lonely place before you can actually get into that 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 kind of deeper contemplative thought and 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 in that space where you're actually thinking about the stuff that you're alluding to. Yeah, I mean, you know, for me that's about you know trust, you're trusting uh, yourself, uh, being comfortable with yourself, uh, trusting that uh, I don't know. There's a poem, Desiderata, by a man named Max Ehrman, and. Uh, one of the it's it's phenomenal i absolutely love it but one of the lines that i always think about is um uh, there's no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should (laughs) Mm. and you know we we take so much uh nonsense and 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 um noise uh we take so many burdens onto our shoulders when uh, to stop and think you know again no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should Mm. uh and um my obligation is to myself um, to, um, to create the reality that I want to experience. Um, it's hard to do, but, but it's also, uh, there's, there's a piece in it. It's liberating. It's empowering for me, uh, learning to live eyes wide open, you know, the, the, the sort of insights I gained as I went blind, man, they were just liberating. Hmm. Well, you've had a, you've had a couple of these now. I mean, having triplets, that's kind of a kick in the teeth, man. That's, that's a lot at once. So what did that yeah. do? Like, how did that change your perspective and your operating system, uh, it, you know, your outlook really in life? Yeah, you know, um, my, uh, so a triplet pregnancy is a, is, a, is a complex pregnancy, you know, fraught with risks. And uh, my wife, Dorothy, you know, uh, had an arduous uh, go of it. And we pretty early on confronted some, um, you know, agonizing uh, information. Um, some of the medical folks uh, 
urged us to reduce or eliminate um, one of the three in particular. There were some concerns about his viability. There was a suggestion that we were uh, maybe uh, being negligent with respect to the other two by, uh, you know, not eliminating one. It was just all sorts of stuff. So, you know, there you, I mean, yeah. there you go. No doubt the universe is unfolding as it should and trust and peace. And it was hard, but we kind of fought through it. And then, you know, our kids were born combined. They weighed less than seven and a half pounds. Uh, the little guy, the one that uh, we were concerned about along the way, weighed less than a pound and a half. And they wound up spending 70 days, 7-0, in the neonatal intensive care unit. And as a mathematical proposition, just, I mean, miracle upon miracle upon miracle escaped, you know, every, uh, you know, complication, minor, major, everything in between. And uh, the the just astounding magnitude of that uh of that blessing in our lives to have these three healthy, thriving children is something that is uh, never far from my mind. It uh, it is always a ready source of perspective for me. That uh, you know, I am the beneficiary of uh, of uh, many cosmic windfalls out there, and there are struggles for life and death going on all around us um, every day. And so it's hard to take things too seriously. Yeah, no kidding. I, I, I got to ask, what what does it feel like to hold a one-pound baby in your... I, no, I don't want to say arm, it's probably hand. We couldn't hold them. Right. You just couldn't touch them for yeah. basically 70 for, days. For, for, for weeks, if not uh, a month. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, his head was the size of a lemon. Uh, one of his nurses w- uh, would take her wedding ring off and slide it um, up his arm over his shoulder. Wow. Uh, you know, and he was intubated and, and all. I mean, talk about, uh, you know, the miracles of technology and science and healthcare. I mean, a modern NICU, neonatal intensive care unit, I mean, it is, it is conducting a constant symphony of daily miracles. It is amazing what goes on in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, but for that, uh, that symphony, Dorothy and I would have, you wouldn't have any of these children, let alone three thriving, healthy ones. And it turned out so great that, that, that uh, Dorothy and I decided to have another. So we, we have a fourth as well now. We have a 15-month-old little baby, Clementine. So triplets are six and a half. The baby's 15 months. And, uh, you know, we're, we're overjoyed. Good for you. It's good for you. Well, I'm yeah. really glad you got your head out of the, the sky is falling, fearful future and just started figuring out how to not bump into things. Because it, it created a really cool perspective uh, in how you could then metabolize life, you know, one thing at a time. What's in front of you is what, what, what you're dealing with kind of thing. And so what a, what a cool story. Um, Isaac Litsky, the book is called Eyes Wide Open. Uh, I uh, am very happy that you pulled through and found this perspective because now you're a philosopher and a, <laughs> uh, you know a, a, a businessman and a, and a father and also all these things are you know really powerful you know contributions to society because they're you know they're anchored in reality and you know kind of makes you makes you the man that you are and and you know we need more of that we need more thinkers um, and people can think for themselves so I recommend getting the book uh, checking out uh, his work uh, Isaac Lidsky L-I-D-S-K-Y and uh, let me know what you think it's Dr. Pedram Shojai the Urban Monk I will see you next time <laughs>